This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. I've kind of decided that like, they're going to, I'm going to create a space in which they're going to learn about this anyway. And if it's too much for them to see those images, particularly at 13, like I don't Mm -hmm. blame them. And if I can create a space where they feel safe enough to like, be able to engage with it in a way that they're truly ready to, then that's important to me because I don't think educating kids needs to mean re-traumatizing them or like traumatizing them in some way. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska! Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. interchangeable. White Ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today's essential question is how can social justice education help students and teachers be better prepared global citizens? All right. And our guest today is Christina Torres, and she is an English teacher at Punahou School in Honolulu, Hawaii. She's a graduate of the University of Southern California and Loyola Marymount University, and she previously taught for two years in Los Angeles. She loves laughing and learning with her students, living in Hawaii, running marathons, reading books, and eating cheeseburgers. She can be found at ChristinaTorres.org or at Biblio underscore file. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We also should, I realize we should probably mention that you are a contributor to Teaching Tolerance, Honolulu Civil Beat, Teacher Pop, and PRX's On Being, and you're a blogger for Ed Week Teacher? Mm -hmm, Okay. We don't want to miss anything important. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Full disclosure, I stole all that whole bio from your Teaching Tolerance. (laughs) I I heard that and I was like, I've heard all these things before, and I like this. I have approved this message. (laughs) Is there anything we're missing um, that listeners should know about you? Um, No, no, that was pretty, that was pretty all encompassing. Thanks guys. Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. So we're super excited um, to hear your hot takes on what social justice education even is. What does it mean to be a global citizen? Um, And of course, we're going to talk about contemporary events. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we so, uh, we so somehow like when we were planning, we were talking about what we're we gonna talk about with Christina. We there was sort of it was a little scattershot. We cause there's so much to talk about. It's such a big topic, and also the world's on fire, as Doug so yeah. um, accurately uh-huh. stated at the beginning before we started recording today. So we're just gonna we're gonna dig in. Sounds great. So a lot to dig let's into. talk a little bit yeah. um, first about kind of how you became a teacher, and just tell us a little bit about how long you've been teaching. Um, a little more than what the bio had said. Um, So I've been in the classroom. This is my eighth year in the classroom um, right now. I originally got into teaching through Teach for America. I was a senior in college and I'd majored in theater and English. And I was like, what am I going to do with any of this? (laughs) I know the feeling. (laughs) I jokingly said like I majored in not getting a steady paycheck. Excellent. (laughs) I was like, what am I going to do? And Teacher America reached out to me and I was like, uh, me, uh, I'll go to this meeting. I never thought I would apply. I thought maybe I'd be a college professor someday. That's it. Um, even though I liked kids a lot and I liked teaching. Uh, and then the recruiter at one point was very good at her job. And she was like, so you mentioned that you ended up moving out of LA when you were younger. You know, how did that affect your education? Mm. And it made me think a lot about what my dad had told me about when he went to high school, how fewer resources there were at his public school Mm. than there were at the one my brother and I went to in Mm. what was much more um, kind of financially wealthy area in in Orange County. And I was like, oh, like this whole realization of like how much education and wealth had impacted my own life kind of kicked in. And and it made me feel really, you know, really lucky that my parents, really blessed that my parents had done that, but also realized like, what happened to this entire generation of people that did not like move out of this area and why yeah. should they have to move and so mm-hmm. many questions like that. And so I've been kind of in education ever since and sort of dealing with those issues around access and equity and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, that's what's got, what got me into teaching. And then I did two years and I realized I kind of wasn't ready emotionally and like, like my own maturity to be a teacher. So I took a few mm-hmm. years off. And then I, I really missed it. So once I was back, once I was in Hawaii, um, I joined the classroom again. So yeah, it's my little journey. Is there, do you remember back, like, is there a difference between school in California and teaching in Hawaii? 
Um, oh, there are some really interesting differences. Uh, and I won't even speak to like how much, like Hawaii is just completely different in a lot of different ways. Like living yeah. in a state that's been, that's been colonized historically and there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff there and just the culture is very different and things like that. Um, something that I, something that I've, I think I've noticed in particular is like when I was dealing with students in Southern California that had come from historically disenfranchised situations, the, the, the biggest reaction I can remember is anger. They were really mm -hmm. understandably angry. There was a lot of really understandable distrust and frustration and things like that. And in Hawaii, that's not as prevalent on the surface. There's still a lot of anger there. I don't want to act like there isn't, but because of the way the culture interacts, there's a lot, yeah. it's, it's a lot quieter and sometimes mm -hmm. you have to work with students a little more to tap into like what's engaged I could use my students anger in LA to kind of fuel them mm -hmm. to like work through things and get them engaged um and in Hawaii that that looks different sometimes so mm -hmm. that's that's one thing that comes up to mind I think immediately for me that's interesting I bet that creates some I just being um you know in a we had the opportunity like I was telling mentioned before about having a our guest from New Zealand um, and just talking about kind of the the different just based on your location like the treatment of indigenous people and the treatment treatment of and the interaction of indigenous people with the government and so I think about like in Hawaii that's it's a really it's a unique experience because I mean we have we have federally recognized native tribes we have non-federally recognized native tribes which is um, is a whole other issue but does it, it seems like that would affect students and even like families willingness to interact with the school system or to um, because it's it is kind of a um, expression of oppression does that do you see that in the schools or is that some, I, or is there that hesitancy from families as well as students um I've heard of that happening in some situations I'll be fully honest I'm no longer I'm not really teaching in a school now with that mm -hmm. with a big indigenous population. There yeah. are a lot of like ties to indigenous culture at my school. Um, and I'm also, I'm teaching in a very different, I'm teaching, I was teaching at like a charter school that was attached to mm. the university. And then now I'm teaching at a, at a admittedly very nice private school. So okay. I've heard that with some of the teachers that I work with. And, and, you know, when we talk about indigenous people, like Mauna Kea is a really good example. There's a lot of really mm. understandable distrust with the government of like mm -hmm. our literally taking our lives yeah, in our sacred yeah. spaces so I, I I definitely have heard some of my some families talk about that or just like a general it's not even it's not even sometimes when I've heard it like an outward like I am I am aggressively refusing it's just mm -hmm. almost like this passive I'm not engaging with you you're not for mm -hmm. me you're not I'm not a part of I'm not a part of you you're not a part mm -hmm. of me bye um, yeah and, and which is an interesting Kind of that, which is understandable. So it's kind of yeah. like, what what do you do in that situation? I think is really hard. Yeah, and in a school setting too, where you have to build trust and relationships with your students to have a meaningful kind of connection, that it would be really challenging. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's hard. I mean, fortunately, also at the same time, I've like local culture in Hawaii really values like relationships and mm -hmm. putting in time with people, and it really does like as you know, as much as the stereotypes are there, it really does try and welcome people. So mm -hmm. at the same time, like certainly me and everyone I've worked with in schools has generally been met with a lot of like love and respect and yeah, care from parents and families. It's, it's, it doesn't always feel like we're the ones being blamed. It's just this larger understanding of like yeah. the larger system. Mm. We don't trust that. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so you write a lot about um, social justice issues and I, I it's funny cause it's 20, Oh, it's 2020. Um, <laughs> that threw me off. I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> And I kind of feel like, you know, in education, we throw words around a lot and then we like shift to other words. So in some ways, I, I feel like social justice and I put it in air quotes for people that can't see my face on this Zoom screen. Um, it's like we're almost past that term. But I was curious if you could talk a little bit about what you think that means, why you write about that. Um, what is a social justice education? Is there a better word that we should be using in 2020? I'm sure there are better words. I'm like, do I know this word though? I I've, I've, um, I think I've, I've started moving a little way from a little bit away from like social justice, not because I think it's a, it's an incorrect term, just because I do sometimes wonder like, what is my own place in that scope of justice? Like, especially yeah. now as a, someone who's writing, but who's writing very much from a place of privilege. And, mm -hmm. and I was already coming from, you know, even though I'm a woman of color, like from a place of socioeconomic privilege and educational privilege and things like that. So that my, my, 
my move distancing myself from the term is less so about the term and more so about like my relationship with the term. Mm. It's like, what is, mm. like, what is my work in justice right now, given the amount of privilege yeah. that I have? And I'm still navigating that. So I tend to talk when I'm writing now, of course, like that's changed a lot over like the, the five, six yeah. years that I've been writing more professionally. Um, I tend to think about it as like uh, inclusive education or like that like diversity and inclusive uh, inclusive education when I'm when I'm thinking about what I do specifically in my classroom and I hope to be moving like or like equity and inclusive education that's yes. what I'm right now um, and I hope to work towards justice and I hope to move my yeah. kids to work towards justice but I also really want to understand my own place in that term and I think that's something I'm still working through mm-hmm. um, but I write a lot about it or the reason I well I write about it for two reasons one is I can't I can't imagine writing about or anything else in education <laughs> it's like like I can't stop once you see it you like can't yeah. unsee it <laughs> it wasn't yeah especially to like once I had a big revelation of like just how deep it was in everything mm-hmm. I was like oh <laughs> okay like it's, it's hard to unsee and so you write about what you yeah. know and it, it I realized just how deep it had been in my life and, and in the work that I do um and then the other reason too though is, is an understanding that my students are going to face these issues outside mm. my classroom, whether I want mm. it or not. Well, as yeah. much as there are times where I'd like to protect them, particularly when I taught, I taught seventh grade and, you know, there were, and my seventh graders were really young, you know, comparatively to, to other schools, they were like 11 and 12 sometimes. And it would feel really hard. Like, mm. do I want to expose them to this stuff? And yeah. I still struggle with that. Like, what is, how do I, I've always believed that that talking about is good. You can do that at any age, but how do I do that? Yep. And I struggle because there is a part of me that wants them to keep their innocence. And it's so, but I also know like the minute they step out of my room, they're going to face it. Even in my room, mm-hmm. they're going to face yeah. it. And so mm-hmm. it's like, it, if I shy away from it, I'm actually denying them the tools to work mm-hmm. through it. So I have to talk about it. I have to help them through it because I don't want them to feel unprepared. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why that's that's the main reason I'm doing it. It's just because I, I want them to be better. I want them to be better prepared, frankly, than I was. And that's not a knock on my yeah. on my family or my teachers. It's just like it really wasn't something we talked about. You mm-hmm. know, I think, gosh, 15, 20 years ago when I was mm-hmm. in high school. So <laughs> I really I really want them. I, I want them to have better preparation since it's so much a part of our conversation mm-hmm. now nationally and internationally, you know, mm-hmm. Do you, you mentioned you had kind of a moment where you realized um, that it was, um, I guess, what you needed to do. Do you remember what that was that kind of pushed you over into it? Um, that's a, such a good question. Um, you know what? I think uh, the first, well, the first time for me, I realized that my students really needed it. I mean, that was something that Teach for America was really good at that time at talking mm. with us about was understanding like where our students were coming from and some of that at least, you know, high level data of the ways that our students had been systemically oppressed. Um, and so the first time I kind of asked my students to, I asked my students to write about a challenge they'd faced in their life and, mm-hmm. and the scope of how my students were willing to open up to me and how vulnerable they got and the things that they had faced, you know, I was teaching 10th grade at that time was a little overwhelming for me. And, and a lot of times I saw my students like kind of not knowing where to place that anger and sometimes yeah. that anger at other people's and sometimes really unfortunately placing that anger on themselves. And that made me really angry for them because mm-hmm. it wasn't their fault. And the fact that they were blaming themselves just made me so mad or just like not even realizing for them, like what had been kept from them. And I'm not trying to say that in a, in a, in a, like a condescending way, but like, you know, they were, they were in 10th grade, yeah. they lived most of their lives in a certain neighborhood. And I remember I took them on a field trip to like the like the Amundsen Center in LA and my kids were looking around and they're like there isn't any graffiti here like that that was such a thing for them they were, we were maybe 20 minutes away from my school but that that just had not something that was something that was out of their scope and I was just so I was angry for them and so there was a part of me I guess that I was like I don't want them to think that this yeah. is okay like I want them to push to have the same things that I had. I want them to know that they deserve that. So that's, I think, mm-hmm. when I started wanting to teach about it. I also realized, though, my own kind of misgivings when I, um, when I just thought about this the other day, um, when, like, I, I realized I had been thinking about my students in a really tragic way, though, and, like, mm-hmm. kind of assuming that their lives were terrible and everything in their life was terrible and it was all dangerous, yeah. and, you know, stuff like that. I fell into that trap. 
And then I ended up getting invited to a student's quinceanera and I was really nervous because I'd never been in the community. I taught it at night. I lived like about 15 minutes away in a, in a different mm. community. And I had even, you know, I'd never gone to a quinceanera, even though I'm half Mexican. I was like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if it's going to be safe, all of these things. And then I went and it was awesome. And everyone was super loving and kind. And it was so much fun. And I realized like, oh, I have this own misperception of, or misconception mm -hmm. of my students and their lives and the community. And yes, there is struggle here, but there is so much beauty mm -hmm. and, and community and, and amazing things in my students' lives that I also shouldn't ignore with this, you know, tragic lens that I've been putting on them, you know, tragic air quotes, right? So mm -hmm. that was also a big push. Like I needed to do some of my own growth and mm -hmm. some of my own rethinking of my kids' lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think we've talked a lot on, on our show and with um, various guests, just like that, that constant process that it takes for us, like in your constant, we're constantly having, you know, you feel like you're awake about something or that you know a lot about whatever and you, you get it and then you realize, hold on, I've been putting this group of people in a box or I am missing mm -hmm. this whole other areas, uh, a spot that's like, I can't see through or whatever it, it may be. And so Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think it's really important to just remind ourselves that this whole big process of growing and, and getting better each day and each um, each year, really. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad you also mentioned that, you know, getting students outside of the community affects their perspective and affects your mm -hmm. perspective as an educator because I have a lot of students who have never left Tacoma and who have never left yeah. Western Washington and that when they do leave or they go elsewhere that it's – it is really eye-opening and I mean even within the city we well technically not within the city but we I have um in our there's a neighborhood called University Place um it's technically I think its own city um but that's near Tacoma they, they wish they were they wish they were <laughs> they are they are it's very city. white <laughs> it's very white um but I had a student tell me that they their mom took them to Whole Foods in UP and we don't have a Whole Foods in Tacoma because Whole Foods is in University Place and they went to Whole Foods and they said the streets are nice there and I said what do you mean and they said well it's like there's no potholes and there are sidewalks and crosswalks even on the like not the main streets it's like really cool and I was like that's that is cool um what does that make you think about and we had this whole conversation about within our own within 15 minutes away there's this part of town that's just really much better maintained right than where our students live and um it was kind of eye-opening and for them and for me kind of thinking about yeah the infrastructure there is better <laughs> it's much better because there's money there and because the investment is there and yeah. So, and part of it's like property value, you know, is higher. And so people are paying more in taxes and there's this whole formula that's really gross. But the fact that, um, that a student noticed it immediately, right. And commented on it, that yeah. that was, that was challenging for them and for me. Um, and to think about, you know, we have an you know obligation to have those conversations with our students when they make those obs those observations. Like, mm -hmm. we need to talk to them about it. We can't just be like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's just a different part of town, right? Like, you need to say, no, it's it's actually, there are disparities and why are why do those exist? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. It makes me think about, there's that um, on NPR, NPR's Code Switch, mm -hmm. um, one of the main writers for it, Gene Demby, he was for a while, and I think he still uses it. He, he uses this hashtag. It's, I think it's housing segregation affects everything or housing segregation is everything about like just how much, housing yeah. segregation mm -hmm. and property tax affects schools, affects infrastructure, affects yeah. access to food, all of these different things that like tie into everything else. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking as you as you both were talking, I was looking at my notes here and according to Oxfam, social justice education, I can't even take myself serious, um, <laughs> but you all mentioned a number of things, right? Building the understanding of current world events, thinking about their values and what's important to them, um, learning in the real world, which is mm -hmm. basically what you both were describing uh, challenging ignorance and intolerance, uh, being involved in local, national, and global communities, developing an argument and a voice, and then having feeling like they have the power to act, or seeing that they actually so seeing that they have the power to act mm. and influence the world around them. Um, and I'm reminded you, you talked talk about your pivotal moment. Like I think back, I know my first couple years of teaching there were, was something. There was another moment I'm not remembering, but I have a distinct memory of um, like my third year of teaching there was a huge like influx around the Palestine Israel war and a bunch of protests happening in Seattle. 
and went up there and talked to some friends and various things. And I just remember walking away from that. Like there was like a weekend and you know, the news and everything. And I was like, I have to, we got to talk about this in class and yeah. because this affects them, even though it seems so far away mm-hmm. um, from them, but just kind of what you were saying about like, how do we make sure that we're helping them, you know, whatever it may be, giving them the tools to navigate those systems that are set against them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that Oxfam mentions several times that um, world events, I mean, yeah. the um, global communities, the real world, right, the um, influencing the world around them, that they it, it talks about it more globally than, I mean, it, it does talk about local stuff too, but the fact that it, it brings up social justice as not just an issue that affects your immediate community yeah. or your immediate school, but it's also yeah. bigger. It's much bigger than mm-hmm. than just our, our circles, right? Well, that slides into that global citizenship piece. Um, do you all, I, I kind of get this impression like Hawaii, people feel like they're, like obviously you're part of the States, but people feel like it's out there sort of and different. Do you, do, do folks feel that way there? Is that like, is there like a divorce, like uh, attitude towards, mm-hmm. I don't know, is it the mainland? I don't even know how people talk yes. about it. It's mainland? It's the mainland. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the mainland. <laughs> um, my, my, is there that disconnect? Like, what yeah. do you, what do you think? Absolutely. No, there absolutely is. And it's actually something I use as an, as an in for a lot of my students mm-hmm. to talk about race, because there is, yeah, I think there is something, there is sometimes still a perception, even among um, locals that like racism doesn't exist in Hawaii anymore. Mm-hmm. Racism is a oh. mainland problem. Like they, you know, because we are mm-hmm. very diverse. We are one mm-hmm. of the most diverse states in the nation. I think we're the only yeah. state without a, without any kind of racial majority. And if we did have one, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be white. Um, yeah, I believe. Uh, and so there are a lot of people that are like racism doesn't exist in Hawaii. And so my students still have that perception a lot of times when they come to me. Um, and so the, the way I start talking with them about it is I show them the danger of a single story. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I ask them, what are the single stories about Hawaii? And they can name That's them good. immediately. Like everyone thinks we surf to school. People think like we like <laughs> swim with dolphins every day. I've actually, I've, I myself have been in cars like on the way to the airport and people ask where I live and I tell them Hawaii and they're like, are there roads there? And I'm like, yes, it is a very big metropolitan city with metropolis, like metropolis city with many universities and yeah. many, many, many electric lights and indoor plumbing, all kinds of things. Um, <laughs> you know, it's very, I mean, particularly Oahu where I live is very, very, very urbanized, um, you know, comparatively. So yeah, so those stereotypes definitely still exist. And I think there is because of a lot of that, a lot of, I mean, we are, very, we're, we're a full 3000 miles away from California. I didn't realize that until I actually got the job in Hawaii and I looked on a map and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not realize how far it was. Um, <laughs> so, um, so there is, there does tend to be that mindset of like, well, the mainland stuff is their stuff. And um, actually I do think that's changed a little bit. I think that's starting to change. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly when I started teaching, in Hawaii back in 2013, 2014, there was still kind of that perception. And I think over the past six years, yeah. as the conversation has grown, I, I do think people are, are kind of understanding and having that conversation more on mm. island. But but yeah, there is definitely this this idea of like the mainland and us and things are different on the mainland. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just wonder if that's easy, if it makes it easier or more difficult to talk about like controversial issues or like political issues or big global conflicts, do you feel like it impacts that at all? Or is it kind of what we'd expect in a, in any high school or middle school? Um, that's such an interesting question. I, I do. I think it's hard to sometimes answer that question because I also yeah. think like the way that teenagers interact with the news has changed yeah. so much since <laughs> yeah. I started teaching, yeah. Yeah. like just their access to stuff. Like my kids, you know, but when I first started teaching, I called them the Tumblr generation. Now I don't even know mm. what I call them. <laughs> but yeah. but they, they just have so much more access to information that I have kids coming to me now that already know what like gender fluidity is and can mm. give me like a pretty in-depth de- definition of it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, cool. I guess we are already know about these things or, you know, because celebrities are mm. talking more about like it, things happening internationally and things like that. I do think my kids are a little more keyed in and I don't know if that's I don't and I don't know if that's because of where I am or mm-hmm. just time mm-hmm. and, and access to technology and also just you know the population I'm teaching is different now I will say that like I think sometimes my students are able and, and my school does push being a global citizen a lot so we talk a lot about it I would say like as someone living here I would not be surprised if 
my students feel a little more protected and a little more safe. Mm -hmm. Like those things mm -hmm. happen away from here. They're not really yeah. here. Um, mm -hmm. Because until actually really recently, and I mean like the past two months, we've been really low in violent crime. We've been, mm -hmm. you know, Hawaii has generally felt really safe. It's only been actually in the past two, three months, there's been a bigger spree of violent crime. Mm -hmm. And then it's been like big local news. Like, why is this happening? What's going yeah. on? How do we... I, you know, and I do think one of the reasons I've liked living out here is because I've at times felt protected from stuff, whether or not that's mm -hmm. fair. And so, yeah, I think it does kind of change the way they interact with things a little bit differently being, you know, so physically far removed. Mm -hmm. I might be TikTok generation is like, let's yeah. go throw it yeah. Tumblr. But it Insta, is it, it's TikTok, isn't it? It's TikTok. Yeah. TikTok's going to change that one like tomorrow. And so. Yeah, <laughs> TikTok. Just when I barely know how to create my own TikTok. TikTok's a mess. Yeah, you're going to figure it out, and then they're going to be like, we're on something different. <laughs> That's how I feel about Snapchat. I'm so archaic. With mm -hmm. I'm like, what's happening, Grandma over here? That's where I stopped. I stopped at Insta. It was too much for me after that. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. That's so funny. Hey, Annie, do you want to share that uh, tweet you were – you were talking about um, the other day that you thought yeah, was Yeah, this is an interesting connection that we made, and this is a um, – Something that's been in the news in the last couple of days about the is that, is assassination the right word? We use the word yeah. assassination in um, AP U.S. history. It's the it's the um, the intentional killing of an important person or for a political reason. So yes, right. that would be assassination. That's what this is. Um, and I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the name. Kasem Suleimani. Suleimani. Did I say that right? I think so. Was killed in a drone Ish. strike um, by. Uh, under the authority of the authorization of the U.S. government, um, this was two days ago, so or yesterday, so January third, uh, and the uh, the kind of connection that that Hope and I were talking about before we we sat down to record today is that you know kind of understanding of global conflict of kind of how countries interact with each other, how governments function, is all tied really closely to not only um, kind of social justice but um, like identity. And how we see ourselves, um, how our students see themselves. When there's a global conflict, it brings into question a lot of issues about um, who we are, uh, whatever that means um, in terms of um, nationality or, um, or like, I guess, relationship to the conflict. So we live in an area in Tacoma, and I know this is true in a lot of um, communities in Hawaii as well, um, that we have a, a military base near us. And so it has any kind of global conflict has a huge impact on our community and a huge impact on our students. And this quote, uh, it's a tweet that I found um, that I think kind of embodies sort of the kind of conversation that Hope and I were having that we were hoping to connect to our social justice conversation today. Um, this is from uh, the, the Twitter account. And I don't know, I can't read the whole, of course, I copied it and then didn't I cut off the the, the Twitter handle, but be just a king. Just keep going, Annie. This is just like look up, look up be a king. Setup. It's a verified Twitter account. I believe it's Martin Luther King's grandchild, granddaughter. Um, who makes money when the United States goes to war? What communities are further marginalized and oppressed when the United States goes to war? We must understand that what my my we must understand that uh, there's a typo. The triple evils of militarism, poverty, capitalism, and racism work in unison. Mm -hmm. Those things are connected. Yeah. Um, so that's what the tweet I found. I don't know what you wanted me to ask about it, Hope, except that <laughs> that's what I found. That's what I discovered on the internet, what people are talking Gosh. about. That it's connected, it's connected to social justice. It's connected to community. It's connected to um, capitalism and racism and the social justice work that we're doing. So what are your thoughts about that? Um. Yeah, I, I so like you were saying, it's funny, I was actually talking with someone about this over the break. I think Hawaii has, I think we might have every branch of the military mm -hmm. have some kind of base or connection on island. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not super sure, but I'm pretty sure. Mil but needless to say, military is a big part of um, living out here. Mm -hmm. um, whether, it's my, whether it's my students, whether it's the people that you meet, people that you date, because there's so many people on an island like it's just part of living out here um and that is a really hard <laughs> yeah. sorry i got that <laughs> took me a moment <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. so, um and, and it is a really interesting part um because there's a there's a difficult balance of a lot of different 
voices as far mm -hmm. as like you have people that are that are indigenous people from from here and that are very much tied to ideas of like sovereignty that are like we want militarization off our land and you have plenty of people who are non-indigenous that feel the same way locals mm -hmm. you know you know non-indigenous locals that are born and raised here um people that are just are living here now that don't agree with militarization. You know, there are plenty of folks that, that don't like militarization. And then you also have a lot of people that are here because of the military influence, either yeah. really like right now they're stationed out here or have been stationed out here or are only here now because at some point someone in their family was stationed out here. Mm -hmm. And where military is a big part of pride for their family and their family mm -hmm. history and who they are. Um, those are interesting things to balance. Um, because there, there's a lot of ongoing conversation about where do we get our funding? Like, you know, like right. how does Hawaii pay for stuff? And sometimes, and like also how does the military treat the land out here? And so there's a lot of really consistent debates about that from a lot of different sides. Cause I have kids at my school now who, you know, have parents who are really like high ranking officials and we haven't started school yet. We'll start school on Tuesday. And so mm. I don't know how they're going to feel. That's something I plan mm. to check in with them about like how they're feeling. Cause I know that that could directly affect some of their families. And I think about kids too. I did a wasp visit um, at an elementary school on base um, two years ago. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to go back for their follow-up visit. Um, but you know, like it was my first time really being at a school that's like on base and like the amount of wraparound services that those kids really do need. Cause you have kids that are just showing up yeah. on a Tuesday and they found out four days before that their family was being PCS and, you know, like, mm. and they were getting sent to Hawaii all of a sudden. And that's, that's just their reality. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. they'll find out we're leaving in three weeks and they're just gone. And so, mm -hmm. you know, and then, yeah, all of a sudden your, your, your dad's going to be deployed to this place and it's scary. And so they, they try to have a lot of counseling services for that, but I can't even imagine what that must feel like or how hard that must be. Um, or their mom, right? And that's a that's kind of a, a a bias in my head. But like, yeah, or their mom's getting sent off somewhere. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's really hard. It's really hard. And so, like, when something like this happens, I think the biggest thing, my reaction that I'm going to do is like, how can I? And it's a really hard question that I don't always know how to answer. But like, how can I make my kids feel safe, even if it's mm -hmm. just for like a little bit of time in their classroom? Because it's in in our classroom, like it's it's really, it's scary. It's mm -hmm. really scary when this stuff happens. And I think that's the big, like I'm scared. And so, you know, yeah. like how do, how can I try and provide some comfort? How can I make them feel heard? Um, and then how can we start talking about what got us here? Because I don't, I also don't want them to just think mm. like that this is one, that world war is just something that happens and mm -hmm. not something that's the process of a lot of different events over time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, so it's just a really interesting kind of situation for us. Well, How do you envision having that conversation on Tuesday? Or is there like a, I don't want to say protocol, like I'll teach your teacher talk there, but like, is there a way or do you just, um, I don't know, how do you navigate that? What are you envisioning? Um, so what I did a few years ago when the Muslim, when the Muslim ban, the Muslim countries ban, Taliban, yeah. I'm sorry, that was not an eloquent way to say that, but when that happened, yeah. um, when there was the travel ban put on a lot of countries, um, I actually like stopped my my lesson plans. I stopped on the book we were reading. And so like we did a little, we journal every day in my class. I had them write about what have you heard, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then what I tend to do is, and I and I really appreciate learning this from social studies teachers and, you know, from, from books online, is like I just try and pull a lot of primary source documents mm -hmm. um, and provide a lot of context and just kind of have a conversation. Like, what is this making you think? How are you feeling about this? Um, what are, you know, I tend to do gallery walks cause I, I do have a lot of kids that like to write instead of talk out loud or like to process written first. That's good. Yeah. Um, so I will probably try and pull some articles I might have them listen to. And I got this from a couple of folks online, um, uh, NPR's through line, which mm -hmm. is their history podcast. I now have some really good stuff on like our history of conflict with Iran. And so yeah and then also and i'm gonna pull it up because i don't want to butcher her name hmm. um a girl a, a woman i know who's a politician now i'm really kind of nervous to um but mitra jalali yes yes her okay. thread yes. her twitter thread was amazing today yes. or yesterday whatever day whatever time of day that was for you yeah she's got a really she's so she's um she's amazing if you can find her on Twitter. she's also a politician yeah. based out of minnesota um and she actually wrote a piece for the guardian um, about like what this means for Iranian American families. And so I really want my students to read that 
Um, I'm going to check in though, because oftentimes, so my, the, his, the social studies teacher I work with comes from a similar background as me. So sometimes we've like realized we're about to do the same thing. <laughs> like we both <laughs> the same idea. So I'm going to check in with her and see if she's going to do it. Cause then I'll let her do it. <laughs> and then we'll just yeah, or like my class later. Yeah. Um, debrief and partner yeah. up. That's cool. Yeah. So, so I really want my students to read that piece because the big thing I want them to think about is not only what this means globally, but like what this means for what this means for families that could be on our island, you know, like, or, or on the mainland or that might, they mm-hmm. might encounter. So trying to get them to empathize too, because it is a community that I think they don't know a lot about. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. good. I think before go to quick we, break? yeah, before we do that, I would like to recognize, first of all, that I am really bad at citations. Um, as a historian, that is problematic. But um, the tweet was from Bernice King, shame, and she is the youngest shame. youngest daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. and Credit Scott King. And her Twitter account is pretty great, so you should check it out. It is great. Yeah. Parenthetical citations there. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, go into a break. Oh, my gosh, Annie. So when's your next vacation? I don't know. It's really hard to plan. There's, like, a me, Angela, baby. It's hard to travel with a baby. So I'm kind of, I don't know. Just like kind of vacation sober right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you need to get away. Like make a getaway and get yeah. away. And plus, haven't you been building up your Alaska miles? Well, obviously. What self-respecting Seattle-Tacoma area traveler does not have an Alaska mileage number? I have my memorized hashtag true confession. Oh, really? That's kind of awesome. It is really the best though. When even when I don't fly, I can build miles with purchases on my Alaska credit card, which uh is cool. I like that. Yeah, I love it. We book trips using Miles all the time. One year, Nate and I gorged ourselves on barbecue in Kansas City by using our, like, Miles and Companion Fair. Another year, we spent a week in New Orleans. You can just Yeah, who dat, who dat. I learned that you had to shout that everywhere you went. That's awesome. Yeah, this is going to be such a great way for you, your boo, and your baby to get away. Plus, your baggage fee is waived if you use Alaska credit card. That's so rad. You can pack all the diapers you want. I'm going to go check out flights right now. All right. To book your next flight, visit alaskaair.com. We fly Alaska. And we're back. (laughs) So, Annie, what about you? What are some ways um, that you're thinking about either addressing this particular issue or that you just help students debrief um, when things get thrown in our faces by our awesome leaders? Well, I teach AP U.S. history, which is a uh, blessing and a curse uh, because the – the pace of the class is insane. It's like, um, learn all of U.S. history in like, you know, five months and then take a test. Uh, it, it's just like too, it's just too much. It's not enough time to like dig in when you need to. And then things like global conflict involving the United States happen or are caused or perpetrated, whatever the case may be. And it's like a, it's like somebody threw the handbrake on the freight train. Like, she's like, okay, we got to stop and talk about it. And I actually relish and like really enjoy getting to like stop and talk about current events. But um, it's that finding that balance in the classroom of like, I have to teach this content and um, I can't not talk about these things that are happening. And so, and I know that sounds probably kind of, I don't know, that probably sounds kind of cold um, because it's like, like, who am I to, like, feed the juggernaut that is the, you know, advanced placement, like, college board when, like, the world's on fire? But also, um, it's, like, balancing those obligations in the classroom of things that I am supposed to teach. And, like, that's an air quote, supposed to teach, um, plus stuff that is really, really important. So, um, I think talking about it, it just, like, the best way um, is looking at the facts, right? So, like what Christina was saying about using primary sources, um, using reliable secondary sources and not letting misinformation kind of spread. Mm. Um, I have one student in my third period who will remain nameless but is incredibly special to me who always has really strong opinions that are always kind of a little bit wrong mm-hmm. factually. And so and he <laughs> comes in the door just like ready to rock and roll and talk about and he's sort of just off just a little bit in, like, factual information. His opinions are strong. He has good, like, kind of um, – he's passionate, which I appreciate. Um, but I'm anticipating seeing his beautiful face on Monday and having him just be like, so what's going on? And then, like, that's going to be the conversation. And if I can anticipate that, um, you know, kind of planning some documents for students to read, planning some – to have some news stories for students to read – and also, like, considering that no matter what's happening in the world, it is part of your curriculum. Like, mm-hmm. we talk about a lot about how 
in social studies how literacy is not just in English, right? Literacy is in every subject. And so we teach literacy in social studies. And so thinking about global conflict and global issues are content and they need to be treated mm-hmm. that way. And they need to yeah. be treated in a way that's I wouldn't necessarily, unbiased is not the word I would use, but treat it in a way that is, it gives students the information they need to develop understanding. And you can be the mm. adult who's there in the room to help them think about it critically and to not just accept information that they read, but to think critically about it. So I don't know. I, I keep picturing that one kid and how he's going to be, he's going to be ready and I got to be ready for him. Right. And yeah. that, that that conversation that we have in the classroom that everyone can participate in some way, right, in developing their understanding and growing their understanding of what's going on. So I don't, I don't, that's probably kind of a, not the answer that I, I feel like that's the most honest <laughs> answer. That's the most honest answer. I don't know if it's, well, you I don't know if it's what, edu- twi- I don't know if it's what, <laughs> you can ed- use that tweet. I should use the tweet. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's what, like, like questions, my right? college like, professors would probably be like, bristling like oh this is not how we you know expected you to be and well you know what I have these competing interests in the classroom of who needs what at any given time and so it's like balancing what students need and they do need to understand what's going on in Iran and they need do need to understand what's going on uh and you know global context and the train the like the the learning still keeps happening and we're gonna be learning about you know the civil war while we're also talking about what's going on globally. So, well, yeah. to me, that's the connection, right? Like putting it on kids, yeah. like how is this, okay, we're reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, hopefully not. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> 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 I, won't, I won't go into that. It's the reality of what it is, you know? Yeah. But like you're teaching this one thing, right? And I think that's the thing. I mean, social studies teachers and history teachers, it seems like there's a little bit more of an in easily. Yeah. But I think part of the challenge for other disciplines is to say like, how is this thing connected to what we um, are hearing and currently impacted by in the news, um, particularly mm-hmm. when we think about going to war and um, how that's going to change people. That can change people's lives impact, right, um, pretty immediately. And like you mentioned, depending on the community, yeah. um, but for sure in a military community or in a diplomat community. <laughs> well, um, I remember the war, and, the war in Iraq. I mean, that started in 2003 and I was yeah. in high school and I had students in my, I mean, I had peers like in my graduating class who went directly into the military because they because of the war in Iraq and that was yeah. that was important to them and we're going to yeah. see kids you know this this conflict's not going to go away overnight it's not going to be smoothed over by some you know slick negotiation like this is a con- this is this is opened a can of worms that is just you know the conflict's unavoidable and we're going to have students coming graduating out of our programs who are going to go into careers in the military and that is something that we we have to be aware of um, the risks and the dangers to our communities um, and to our kids, right? And it's, you know, that's partially, you know, it's their choice. And then partially it's also, you know, the heavy military recruitment in our schools. And, you know, that is, I don't know, that's another aspect of it that we live in a, a poor community and, and I work in a poor community and that a lot of our students are encouraged to go into the military to pay for college or to have a stable career and that that is, you know, that's something that we have to keep in mind as well, that there's a aspect to like Bernice King said, the aspect of like poverty and capitalism, right? That yeah. that's a, a piece of the puzzle too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes me think, I, I like what you're talking about, like, cause that reality of trying to balance the two, cause it's like, how do you have that conversation, those feelings? And then also like, yeah. how do you not actually like, maybe it's build empathy, but like, think about like, what mm-hmm. are also the circumstances or the reasoning that like someone mm-hmm. joins? Cause you know, I actually, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm newly engaged. And so I'm now an aunt to five teenagers, which is congratulations. I know it's really exciting. They're great. Actually, met them. I met them all for the first time over the winter break, but you know, one of the oldest one is, is he's going to join the Marines and his, mm-hmm. his father's been in the Marines for many years. And so when this news broke, we had already left, but my, my fiance and I looked at each other, like, what will this mean for him? Cause yeah. he's, jo- yeah. he's, this is his, this is the choice yeah. that he's making. And and like, that's very real. And so I also wondered too, a little bit about like news fatigue, because I also get that, like, mm-hmm. yeah. how do we have these conversations with kids because they're important, but at the same time, there is something in the power and normalcy of like, and now we're going to talk about 
your lit circle books. And and I also understand that being able to do that comes from a place of privilege, yes. like, but it's also yeah. something that like, if I can give it to my yeah. kids, there's a part of me that wants to like, this is happening. Let's talk a little about it. And now let's do a DBQ because it's really important and you need to do it. And <laughs> yeah. like, let's get away from this and, and get back into a routine a little bit. So I also think about like, how do we also make space for those kids to like, still feel that they can be mm-hmm. kids. Like I think about, and you know, it's funny because now that I teach eighth grade, high schoolers seem so old to me, like yeah. such big kids in my head. <laughs> but, you know, in talking with my, with my nephew now, I'm like, you know, and, and he's 18 and he is, a, 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 you know, he's a grown up in a lot of ways and he's about to do something very grown up, but mm-hmm. there's also still a lot of ways in which he is a kid, at least, you yeah. know, in my eyes and I'm yeah. sure in his family's eyes. And so I'm just like, <sighs> like, how do I also make space? How, as a teacher, would I also make space for him to still get to be a kid and get to finish mm-hmm. high school and be a kid and not sit with this weight on his heart 24 seven. Yeah. Like that's, it's hard to, ba- it's just hard to balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also I, I'm kid, glad you brought that yeah. up. Cause I was actually just going to segue into that. Like, how do we, I know you read a lot about um, just this idea of mindfulness and mm-hmm. am I capturing what you <laughs> I don't want to say, I know you read about this, but then actually you don't no, um, do. like just the idea of mind, mindfulness and mental health. Um, and creating those spaces, like, like you mentioned uh, numerous times around just safety with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, I mean, what are some of the strategies that you use, like you mentioned in the classroom, but also are there other strategies to, to prevent that fatigue, but also to stay um, aware and not to give up, so to speak, and not to just kind of hide, like you mentioned, it is a point of privilege whenever I see someone who's like, I'm just, it's too much. It's usually mm-hmm. like some 20 some year old white girl who like just can't handle too much. I'm like, yeah. oh, get over it. Um, <laughs> but, but also mental health and self-care yeah. and all that stuff. So how do you, what do you recommend? What do you think? Um, so for my kids, I, I, I do a couple of different things. One is that I, I try and give them content or trigger warnings as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, this is particularly true when we were, we do read To Kill a Mockingbird at my school and it's a conversation that we're having, <laughs> but we do still read it. And so I, I, I and I'm like, okay, if we're going to teach it, I'm teaching all of it. I'm teaching all the stuff around it. I'm teaching it then if I were, if we're going to read this book. So I yeah. talk really upfront with my students about lynching. Um, and I do have them watch something. I have them watch Oprah and uh, Brian Stevenson's interview when the, he first oh. opened the museum in Alabama. And there's some pretty graphic stuff in there. And so I showed that last year. This year I showed a slightly different clip, but like from facing history, but they do yeah. have photos of people that have been lynched. And so I, I warn, you know, I checked with my school first and, you know, I talked with my department about that and all those things. But then, you know, before I watch it, before I showed the kids, I'm like, there are some really tough images in here. And I describe the images first. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, if you think this is going to be too much for you, when I turn the lights off so we can watch, you can put your head down. If you want to quietly walk outside, like that's mm-hmm. fine. If you want to put earbuds in, like, and mm-hmm. you don't, and you just want to read about it after I'm okay with that because for me, I've kind of decided that like, they're going to, I'm going to create a space in which they're going to learn about this anyway. And if it's too yeah. much for them to see those images, particularly at 13, like I don't mm-hmm. blame them. And if I can create a space where they feel safe enough to like be able to engage with it in a way that they're truly ready to, then that's important to me because I don't think educating kids needs to mean re-traumatizing them or like traumatizing yeah. them in yeah. some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that's what I would want for myself because I, and I have this discussion a lot with folks when they, especially like frankly folks in higher ed that like complain about trigger warnings and how this generation mm. is so sensitive. And so I'm now at a place in my life where I'll throw it back in their face that like I was sexually assaulted when I was 19 and like mm-hmm. people didn't prepare me for that. And so I would go into classes and all of a sudden this discussion would happen and my body would just shut down because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to, I wasn't ready. I wasn't able right. to process it. And, but if you had given me the warning, I could have come to class prepared and I could have mm-hmm. at least been able to have the conversation and not just hit it and blindside it for me. Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing that I'll like bring up to people when they complain about trigger warnings. I'm like, no, it is a very real physical like the effective filter is real and like mm-hmm. kids don't learn if they don't feel safe like yep. or kids don't learn as well if they don't feel safe and yeah. so if I can make them feel safe and heard in some way I'm going to do that so that's one thing I do is like trigger warning mm-hmm. um the other thing I do is I do try and balance like and this is like just a number I've made in my head like I won't go more than like 45 minutes like I'll like I'll maybe max do 45 minutes with middle schoolers and then I will like take a break like if we're having like a deep discussion around a really difficult topic and 45 minutes even can feel a little long. I'll really only do that if the conversation's really good and they're stirring it up themselves. But I'm also like, I'll have us talk about it for about 30 minutes at a time. And then if it feels done, I, I feel okay moving on. Mm-hmm. And that's not like, 
I, and part of the reason I feel comfortable doing that is because I know it's not the only good time we're, we're going to cycle back, right? Yeah. We're, we're yes. Yeah. Cyclical. Yeah. We're going to come back to this. It's going to come up again. I just know that like doing it over and over and over consistently, like, is that, that's not a way that I learned. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. make my kids do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for myself, I draw boundaries. And this is something that like, fortunately, my parents are great about. My parents love listening to MSNBC 24 seven. That's fine. You know, they're really into politics. My brother's in politics. So they're really into all of it and I can't do it. And so they are very sweet. Like they understand like when president Trump's talking, I walk out of the room because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not oh, listening. Yeah. listening to his yeah. voice makes me mad. Mm-hmm. If I really need to read his remarks, I'll read them later. But like, I don't want to hear his voice. Um, and so like drawing boundaries for yourself too is like, how can I actually process this information? I know that if I listen to it too much, I'm just going to like eventually have a panic attack and that's not going to be useful. Yeah. Um, versus like if I read about it in chunks and I process and I think about mm. it through my classroom, I can actually process the information. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good tips. Annie, is there any, you were kind of looking in the distance. Is no, there any I was kinda... just thinking about how great those tips were. And yeah. <laughs> any other tips? Christina's you, got it. Um, I... Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, teaching high school, there's I, I keep on picturing that one kid, that one kid who always has a lot to say, who's really, really smart and kind of just comes in ready to ready to rock every single day um, and how much I just love him. Um, but the fact that like we, ha- you know, we can have a Socratic seminar about, um, you know, whether or not Andrew Jackson was a good president Right. And I have that can turn that can turn into a really heated kind of conversation. Right. Um, And making sure that I always frame for my students the conversations we're having about history as moral questions or as ethical questions or as questions that they can relate to about right and wrong and good and bad and what that means and like gray areas of, you know, between right and wrong and good and bad and to have a more nuanced understanding of history. So, you know, my my kind of hot tip for for students who get, um, especially I have a lot of kids, is sort of a divide, right? It's these kids who get really passionate and really excited about talking about um, and connecting to these issues of morality and uh, kind of the context of history and then the kids who don't and just kind of shut <laughs> down and whatever that, for whatever reason, in a lot of cases, I have, you know, a lot of students who are really introverted. And I think part of the reason they're introverted is because they have their phone and they can just go to that and they can kind of soak into it and not not um, connect with what's going on around them. And I'm not blaming phones. It, I'm, it's this um, security blanket, right, of having the, like, I don't need to have the social interaction right now because I feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to reinforce that discomfort by disconnecting in this certain way, whatever that is. It's, you know, right currently in the current school climate, it's like it's phones. But um, so how do I get those kids engaged? Right. And and get them engaged in a way that is exactly what Christina was saying, um, in a way that is that opens the door for them. Right. So they can put a foot in. Right. And not drag them through the, through the door um, mm-hmm. so that they're kind of partners in their learning. And so I, I think about that a lot. Like, how do I make students partners in their learning? And how do I, you know, invite them to be partners in their learning? Not make, I guess that sounds really forceful. That's not what I'm trying to do. But how do I op- open that door for them and help them take a step? Um, and I think part of that is facilitating activities where they get to have those kind of questions about morality and right and wrong in a, in a safe environment. And mm-hmm. um kind of an abstract way. So like we talk about Andrew Jackson as a good president or a bad president or whatever, um, that concept is abstract to them. It's sort of abstracted to the point where they can talk about this person who's long dead and they can make these kind of conclusions about them. And then there's inevitably that one kid who, you know, and I'm picturing this face, right, Um, says, well, doesn't Donald Trump have a picture of Andrew Jackson hanging in the Oval Office? And didn't he pick that picture? And then I can say, yeah, he did. So what is it about Andrew Jackson as a president that influences Christina's the... face right now as you're talking? Is <laughs> right, so but good. like, what is it about <laughs> Andrew Jackson that in- inspired Donald Trump so much? Is it because he was a populist? Is it because he was kind of an autocrat about certain things? What was it about him that made him want to hang that portrait, right? And so, I don't know, just opening that door so the students can take the step. And for some high school students who are really shut down, who are really like in their own in their own head about you know, my opinion doesn't matter or my voice doesn't matter, like giving them the opportunity to see that it does, 
um, that's really powerful too. So, yeah. Hope, what do you think? What do you What are you doing? Um, I'm gonna just say ditto on all the things that you said. Uh, yeah, no, I think boundaries, reiterating the boundaries. Boundaries look different for me. I think each time, um, depending on the issue and depending on honestly where I am geographically is also an influence. Um, I think about when um, Charlottesville happened. We were in Mexico at like an Airbnb mm-hmm. in near Cancun, and, and there was a storm, uh, and so it was just like that being near, but then also far, but then also. Um, that's something that I've been working a lot around, like <laughs> fighting Nazis in Tacoma. And so, you know, it's just like depending on my relationship with the issue. And so mm-hmm. thinking about my own process, I think every person needs to figure it out. But I think the one thing I want to make sure we walk away with, with listeners is checking out permanently is, I don't think it's an option. So maybe I'm going to be a hardliner on that, but like, that's the problem with where we are, where we're at today. I think because too many people, um, as was mentioned earlier, like just the notion of where you're at with your power and your privilege. Mm-hmm. Too many people with power and privilege who had an opportunity to change something or make a difference didn't opt it out of that situation. And so yeah. I think self, you know, self-care and making sure that we um, make it through this is really important. And then also um, making sure that you don't feel, yeah, that you don't just check out all the way. Yeah. I guess I'll leave it mm-hmm. at that. Absolutely. Uh, Christina, we really appreciate you coming on the show. It's super early there. And we've talked a lot, um, talked your ear a lot, a lot. About some like deep, deep stuff today. (laughs) Um, What's, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Um, If they want to follow up or read your writing, what do you want to? Yeah. Um, So the best way to get in direct contact with me would be two. And it was the two that you mentioned. First, if you go to ChristinaTorres.org, because ChristinaTorres.com was very expensive. Um, So I'm an organization (laughs) now. Um, Some of my writing is on there. Links from writing are on there. And there's a contact form that does go straight to my email. So you can, if you want to reach out to me, I love talking with folks. I'm also on Twitter quite a bit, um, as, as, as a lot of people know. So yeah, I'm at biblio underscore file, T-H-I-L-E, because I made a username my junior year of college, and then it stuck, <laughs> and now I can't change it forever. That's fine. Um, so. <laughs> I wondered what the story was behind that. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's, I was like, I'm into books. I'm an English major. I'm going to be cute, and then here Nerd, we are. Nerd, I love it. 12 years later. Um, but, but yeah, so please feel free to reach out to me, find me. I love, I love, or, you know, just like sharing thoughts. I know, I also know like one of my big things, I think we were talking about this before the show, or when I was talking about like, there's just still so much to learn. I think one of the biggest things I take away is there's still so much for me to learn. Like Mm -hmm. I have still big gaps in my knowledge. Um, So I also always appreciate resources and thoughts from folks. So, so yeah, reach out. Uh, Annie, Mm -hmm. final segment. Yes, our final segment is do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. So as I mentioned earlier, um, my homework is to read up on global citizenship and think about, um, even if you've never left your city, uh, why it's important to think about yourself in relationship to the rest of the world. And what does that mean um, as a human being, as someone who cares about other people, and especially when we're facing uh, global conflicts Mm -hmm. such as war. Right. Um, uh, my homework tonight is, uh, this tonight, this w- next two weeks is to it's tonight for me, hey. it's tonight for <laughs> hope. Yeah. Um, to go to PBS NewsHour's timeline, a modern history of Iran. And the reason that matters is that you can read about, uh, the interaction between the United States and Iran historically, well, modern historically, uh, to get a better understanding and context of why our current beef with Iran, um, is, our, I don't even want to be part of that. Um, the U.S. government, some small segment of the U.S. government's current beef with Iran is how that fits into kind of a global context. Um, and it's not in a vacuum, that it's part of a bigger set of issues. Great. Christina, any recs, yeah. actions oh. people should do? I was like, do I get, do I have homework? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you I'm get to assign that homework. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And like homework for me, too. And they have um, to do it. It's going to be graded. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's really intense, guys. Yeah. Um, but should we be grading homework? So many questions. Uh, hey! That's that's the real question. <laughs> who's it real? Who's it really for? Hmm, right. <laughs> um, so, um, my homework slash the homework for myself to do is um, I actually want to listen through some of NPR's Throughlines podcasts and pull mm-hmm. some clips that I think are going to be really good with my students to have a better because I have a really big gap in knowledge when it comes to the Middle East. Um, so just like an understanding of our relationship with, of the U.S.'s relationship with that and how that's looked. Um, I also want to try and find some resources, particularly from like teaching tolerance, about how we mm-hmm. can support 
both our kids that are coming from military families that are really scared and also like how we can support students from the Middle East or like who are, mm-hmm. you know, whose families are from the Middle East that are maybe feeling a resurgence of fear um, about what this will mean for how they're treated in our country. So Teaching mm-hmm. Tolerance has some very good stuff on that. So check them out. That's awesome. Excellent. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. We're so bad at our, we're supposed to like sing some buys, but (laughs) Annie and I have not been doing a good job with it. Hey, that one was actually actually pretty good. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.